Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me. Good to see you. How's everybody doing? Well, I'll tell you what, you kind of look like the frozen chosen this morning, don't you? Let me ask you a question. Is it all right to talk to yourself? I, uh, I googled that question this week, and uh, this is the response I got. It says, uh, kids instinctively do it, but it's a stress reliever for adults as well. Talking to yourself is often thought as of something only children or crazy people do. So there was the thought in the past that uh, you were either a child or you were crazy. But research shows that engaging in a little self-conversation as an adult isn't only completely normal, it's good for you. How many of you ever thought you need to give yourself a good talking to? Well, let's pray over that. Father, we're grateful to be here today, speak to our hearts, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, you may learn something today. Now turn back to him and say, it's about time. (laughs) Take your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter uh, 15. This is uh, a chapter that has several parables about it. The lost sheep, the lost coins, and if you will, a lost son. We call this the parable of the prodigal. Whether it's a parable or not, we don't know, but we think it might be. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need, began to be in want. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the pigs. He went to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods or the the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, a couple of things that's really outstanding here. Number one, he received something he should have had, but he got it too early. He wasn't mature enough to handle it. How many of you know you can have some good things coming to you, but if you get it too early, you're not going to be able to handle it? It wasn't mature enough. But here's the question I want to pose to you when he says, my father has servants that are living better to me. I'm starving to death. They're they're full. They have places to live. They're living better than me and I'm the son. Let me ask you the question, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's not talking to the pigs. He's not having a conversation with the pigs because that's all that's there, him and the pigs. So he's talking to himself. Um... I found in the Bible there are many scriptures where people just talk to themselves. 
and there's nobody around. They're having this inner dialogue, this inner conversation. They're talking to themselves. Let me ask you another question. How many words do you think you speak in a day? About 16,000 is the average. Now, I did find this. Some, some people speak 47,000. Some people speak about 7,000. But the average is about 16,000 words a day. It is true that women do speak more than men. And the men said amen. So you have an extra word man right there. But not much. I mean, you know, historically they thought they spoke a lot more than men, but not really. But they do speak slightly more than men. Do, do you know that words really can be a blessing or they can be a curse? And if you don't think that that's true, just, just try to say some words to your wife or your husband. They're a little out of line or a little caustic. And, and you'll find that that will uh, engage them. And you can find out sometimes when you don't know that you spoke something, it is still a thorn in their side later. Because this has been some of the things that Karen and I have done. Because uh, maybe two or three days later, I, I notice she's a little cool to me or she's a little uh, uh, aloof. And I'll say, what's wrong with you? She, she would say, because of what you said. And I said, what did I say? Because I don't know what I said. Now, y'all looking really holy at me here. Y'all have never done this, have you? To a friend or a wife or, a, you know, a significant other or whatever. Because of what you said. And I said, when did I say it? And she said, three days ago. So it was still on the back burner three days later. Now, if you speak 16,000 words a day... And you think, well, just only one or two or three or four doesn't really matter, does it? So it's like if you have a little sand pile there and that's your 16,000 words a day, well, just pick up a little bit of the sand and the next time you make a sandwich and, and you put some uh, mayonnaise and mustard on it, just take a little bit of that sand and sprinkle it in your sandwich and see how it tastes. Or tomorrow when you get ready to go to work, you don't have to have all 16,000 of them, but just take a little bit of the sand and put it in your socks, and by noon, let's see how you feel. Or ladies, just put a little bit in your high heels, and then by noon, we'll see how you're doing. How many of you know what I'm saying? It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a few. Out of the 16,000, you can say two or three or four or five or six or seven, and it may corrupt the other 15,996. Can I hear an amen? So we have to be careful because our dialogue matters. What we say matters. And if I speak a negative or an unkind or harsh word, does it really matter to me or the people around me? And the answer is absolutely right. It does because you could take just a little bit of that sand and sprinkle between your sheets tonight and it will rub you the wrong way. I'm going to preach to these people over here just for a okay? We have to understand that words absolutely matter. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, according to Scripture. Now, Jesus gives us the importance of words in um, Matthew chapter 12. If you'd like to turn there, we're going to look at it. Verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. Now let me give you a different translation here. This is the Message Bible, and I don't normally use that. But just for emphasis, let me read it out of that translation. It is your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good deeds and words, season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words also can be your damnation. Words are important. Let me tell you why. Here's number one. Because words reveal our hearts. Words reveal our hearts. We will know somebody's heart by their words. Now you can fake it for a while. You can, you know, put a front up for a while, a facade up for a while, but eventually your true heart and my true heart will be manifest because it's going to show. It's going to come out through our words. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is trying to get our focus not on things, nothing wrong with things, but how many of you know your focus shouldn't be on things? You know, we live in a we live in a culture today where we love things and we use people when we should be using things and loving people, right? So Jesus is trying to correct that generation as much as we need to be corrected. In verse 31, he said, therefore do not worry. Now what are we worrying about? We're worrying about things. We're worrying about provision. We're worrying about what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat and, and all the things that sometimes we're anxious about. So he says, therefore do not worry, or if you have a King James translation, it says, take no thought about these things, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble or evil enough. So he says, you've got to focus on the right thing. That's the kingdom of God and your heavenly father will take care of all these things. Now notice this, verse 31, therefore do not worry or take no thought. Now notice this, how many of you believe the Holy Spirit directed this word that we have today? I believe every word is significant. The Bible says that every jot, every tittle, that's like crossing a T or dotting an I is important in Scripture. Now notice this. Do not worry or take no thought saying. Say that with me. Saying. Let's say it again. Saying. So what is up here, the worry, the anxiousness, and the thought, he says, take no thought what? Saying. Every one of us think things that we shouldn't say. Every one of us think things we shouldn't say. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, if you think you ought to say it, try that out for a while. 
I'm guaranteeing you everybody here thinks things they should not say. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, okay, you're going to have some anxiousness. You're going to have some worry. You're going to have some fear. It's going to try to come into you. Matter of fact, it is a weapon of the enemy. But he says, but don't what? Say it. Now, I'm not one of these guys, you know, if you're here this morning and uh, you've just come from like so many people in our county and really across America with the flu or you've had the virus or, you know, you, you have bronchitis or whatever and your nose is running, you got a pile of Kleenexes and, and you know, you, you barely breathe and you're saying, I'm not sick. Hey, you're sick, Bubba. Okay. But, you know, there's people who say, oh, don't say this, don't say that. L let's not take this to extreme. Yeah, come on. Okay? Let's not take this to extreme. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a woven thread of truth here that we can literally talk ourselves out of something. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, they talk themselves out of it? Can we flip that? Can we talk ourselves into something? Can we talk ourselves out of something? Can we talk ourselves into something? According to Scripture, absolutely. So he says, there's going to be anxiousness. There's going to be worry. You're going to be concerned about those things. But he says, you've got to bind up the loins of your mind. You've got to bring every thought into captivity. So we're going to start here in our mind, right? So we're taking it here in the mind, but we also have to take it in the tongue. He says, take no thought. And he didn't just say, take no thought. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He said, take no thought saying. So he inserts the word here because words reveal our hearts. I'm constantly in fear. I'm constantly worried. Do not give the enemy any more ammunition that he's already got. Let me tell you the two ways, and there's really only two ways he knows that you're in trouble. One is by the words you're speaking. Because we actually give him ammunition by the words that we speak. The second thing is by our countenance. Because most of the communication that you and I have is by body language. You don't have to look at someone to wonder whether they're happy, they're discouraged, they're fearful, they're faithful, because our body language gives it away. Let me give you a biblical word for this. It's called your countenance. This is the biblical word. Your countenance has fallen. And so we want to be careful that we don't give the enemy any more ammunition against us than he already has for us because he's the accuser of the brothers and the sisters and he wants to pull you down. Words reveal our hearts. Here's the second thing. Words can speak faith. Matter of fact, Paul called it the word of faith. How many of you ever heard that term? The word of faith. Why don't we use that? Because it's a very biblical term. Words can speak faith. Matthew chapter 9, something you're very familiar with. Verse 20, and suddenly a woman who had a flow or an issue of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. So here she is. The crowds are thronging him, very clear, everywhere Jesus went. He is attracting the crowd. 
This woman has heard of his healing power, heard of his uh, uh, great manifestation of signs and wonders, and she wants to get in in the action, right? For 12 years, she's had an issue of blood. She has had a female issue here that doctors cannot cure. Imagine in your mind this woman who has been healthy, has been whole, maybe... Uh, worked hard and all of a sudden she has a medical condition and this blood has been flowing for 12 years and she's getting weaker and weaker and weaker and older and older she's getting more susceptible to everything else because of the condition of her body but I want you to look at the next verse verse 21 for she said to herself who's she talking to she's talking to herself is it all right to talk to yourself? Well, the prodigal son talked to himself. You know what he talked himself out of? The hog trough. The hog pen. He talked himself right out of a bad situation. He got himself into a bad situation. Then he talked himself out of a bad situation. Here she is, 12 years, bad situation. So before she went and touched the hem of his garment, she said to her Self, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You know, I would like to say every confession of faith, uh, we see it happen. I don't know why we don't, but I'll guarantee you it's always better than a negative confession. It's always better than, I'll never get better. I'm always going to be in this condition. I'll always be sick. I'll never get anywhere. I'll never advance in my job. My marriage will never succeed. I'll never get my act straight. I'll never be happy again. How's that working for you? That is negative, 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 negative. There's no faith in that. Matter of fact, it becomes sometimes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That we are engaging our mind and our soul and our spirit and our body into something that is absolutely not where we want to go. But we're confessing that over and over and over and over. And you know me, I'm not a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, spit it and get it preacher, okay? But I do realize that there is a biblical theme here that we need to catch to tweak our lives to make it better. Can I hear an amen? She said to her self if I can just touch the hem of his garment I shall be made well and Jesus turned around and when he saw her said be of good cheer daughter your faith has made you well and the woman was made well from that hour you know the other different accounts in the Bible Jesus stopped and said who touched me and the disciples look at him and said, come on, give me a break. People are thronging you forever. They're reaching, they're grabbing, they're touching, they're high-fiving. What do you mean who touched me? He said, somebody touched me because I perceived virtue came out of my body and it met a need. Why did it meet her need and possibly somebody else's need? Because she went there in faith and she says, I know if I do this, I will be made whole. It was a word that spoke faith. Here's the third thing. Words can change things. You know what I found out in my, in my house, words can change the whole atmosphere of your house. Well, I'm just saying. 
Mark 11, Jesus has just had the triumphal entry. He goes back to uh, Bethany where he has been staying with uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The next morning he's going back to Jerusalem. It's just a Sabbath day journey or so from uh, Bethany to uh, Jerusalem. And Bethany is just right to the uh, north uh, side of the, the Mount of Olives. So you kind of come around the edge and right into Jerusalem. And that day as he's going back into Jerusalem, maybe they hadn't had breakfast, I don't know, but he sees a fig tree. And the fig tree has beautiful leaves. It's in full uh, foliage. And he goes up to the fig tree seeking fruit. Now, let me stop here. Because the, the thing that we might say is, well, Jesus should have known there was fruit on the tree, whether uh, he was uh, under the tree or before he got to the tree, because he knows everything. I'm going to agree with you, he knows everything. Do you agree with me, he knows everything? He, he knows the beginning from the ending. But there was more to this than just him trying to find fruit on the tree. Uh, I think he was even speaking about a whole nation here in this little allegory uh, vignette of his life. But nonetheless, he goes to the fig tree, it's full of leaves, and he found no figs on that tree. And you know what he did? He cursed it. He said, let no man eat fruit of you ever again. And when he said that, it appears nothing happened. So, they, they leave the fig tree. They go on up to Jerusalem. You have to ascend up because it's a pie. And so they spend the day in Jerusalem. They go back to Bethany. Nothing said. The next morning, everybody say next morning. The next morning they get up. They go back to Jerusalem. And guess what they pass by? They pass by the fig tree. And when they pass by the fig tree, the disciples marveled. And they said, look at this. The fig tree that you cursed yesterday morning now has dried up from its roots. This wasn't just a little bit of wither on the leaves that's curled up. They said this thing is dead. This thing is withered. This thing is gone from the top of this tree all the way down to the roots. Peter even comments, he says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. When Jesus spoke the words, the day or the morning before, nothing was visible to the eye. You know what happened? It started underground. It started underground. It actually started where you couldn't see it. I wonder sometimes the words that we speak or the words that we hear there's something that happens underground that we can't see that manifests later. Do you think that happens? I think it happens all the time. So the words that Jesus spoke happened underground. It happened where they could not see it. It began underground. The tree was withered where? From its roots. And this is what we know. Words begin a process. Words begin a process and that process doesn't always happen immediately or, or the end result of that process and it always isn't seen immediately. 
But the words that Jesus spoke had an end result. That tree dried up from the roots. And this event was a training session for those disciples. Now, let me tell you why I know this. Because Jesus didn't give the lesson when he cursed the tree. He didn't give the lesson when he came back that evening. But the next day when they came back and the tree was cursed and withered, then verse 22, let me read the rest of the story. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, what things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, here he has spoken to a fig tree, but now he tells us that we need to speak to our mountain, right? Now, notice this. He says, be removed and cast into the sea. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe the things that he says. He will have whatever he says. I say to you, when you ask, well, there's a lot of saying and asking here, isn't there? Why is he telling us this? Because here's the principle. You have not because you, you ask not. If the mountain is there, speak to the mountain. Well, pastor, that's dumb. You're speaking to inanimate things. Really? Do you realize faith without works is dead? And faith without words is dead? Because the words always precede the works. Before God ever did a thing, he said a thing. Let me say that again because you need to hear that. Before God ever did a thing, he said a thing. Why? Because the words always initiated the action. That's how God created everything. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? He did it by words. He spoke, let there be, and there was. Let there be light. Now, God always created, then he commissioned. He created a thing, then commissioned a thing. Well, what does that mean? Okay, I'm going to create Adam and Eve, then I'm going to commission them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue, and then he tells the trees, bring forth after your kind, and then the cows, bring forth after your kind, and he tells the birds, bring forth after your kind. So he creates them, he commissions them, right? He gives them instruction. This is what you're to do. He creates, then he commissions. But how does he create commission? He does it both by the word. Jesus commissioned us. How did he do it? By the word. Go ye therefore into all nations. I'm telling you what to do. You're, you're created for purpose. Now here's your commission. So that comes by words. So if we use words, what are we doing? We're using the same concept. We're using the same process that God used. Creation in the beginning was the word. Words are very, very important. And how we use those words are very, very important. Can I hear an amen? So don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't sabotage yourself because sometimes we think it's just idle talk, idle thoughts, idle words. But Jesus said every idle word you have to have an account for it. Matter of fact, not only is there an accounting for it, there's an action for it. 
So I'm going to have to reel in my mind and my thought and my words because they absolutely mean something. James tells us, and it's an amazing thing, because he gets on this tongue thing. And James says, you don't you know, like this thing right here, because you're getting in trouble. This thing will set the fire of hell on people. Now what he said? He said, you got to watch this. Now, now I want you to catch something here. Because he gives us this illustration, and, and he gives us a couple. Here's one. He says that the horses are guided by the bits in their mouth. And that bit sets right over what? the tongue. Because that massive horse that might weigh 1,200 pounds or 1,400 pounds or 1,500 pounds, a 90-pound woman can get on that 1,200-pound horse and with a few tugs can direct that horse wherever she wants that horse to go. And then he says that a ship sailing through the water is guided by the little rudder on the back. And so he says the tongue is the bit and the rudder. It tells the horse and the boat what direction to go. So what direction is your tongue, is your words telling you to go? What words am I using to tell me where to go? I want to end with something this morning that... Uh, you may or may not know. If I ask you the question, what is the most common word used in magic? What, what would you say? Yeah, abracadabra. Abracadabra. So, what does that word mean? I, I really never knew what the word means. I've always heard it. Abracadabra. You know, the, the magician is getting ready to pull something out of the hat, and before he pulls it out, he says, abracadabra. Well, let me give you a little, little hint here. It's believed to be an Aramaic word, and uh, it belongs to the Aramaic language, which is a Semitic language that shares a lot of the same grammar as Hebrew, and we believe that Jesus spoke Aramaic and also Hebrew. And... Um, Abra or Abra is the Aramaic equivalent of the uh, Hebrew Avra, meaning I will create, while Kadabra is the Aramaic equivalent of the Hebrew uh, Kadubra, which means was spoken. And so Abracadabra actually means when I speak, I create. When I speak, I create. Or you might say, I will create as I speak. Where did that Hebrew term come from I think it came from Genesis chapter 1 I think it's the same quality that God says as I speak I create or I create what I speak so the next time that you are speaking something that is very adverse to you then you need to say to yourself Abracadabra. I am creating 
what I'm speaking. Or let's say that someone is just giving you some real negative stuff. Maybe you need to just look at them and just say, abracadabra. <laughs> you are creating what you're speaking. Now, listen, let, let's not take this way out here in crazy land, okay? But I am saying this. There is a huge amount of evidence in the Word of God that we have to realize is self-verbalization to our own life. Listen to one of the most famous Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. I lie down. He waters me. I'm in paths of righteousness. He prepares me a table. If I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear. He anoints me, gives me a table. I'm going to dwell in this house. Who's David talking to? It's not a prayer. He didn't say, Lord, you do this. He says, the Lord is. Who's David talking to? He's talking to himself. Can I get you this morning, if I don't do anything else, the next time you read a passage, the next time you look at a biblical account, I want you to see how many times it is someone confirming in their own self the truth about God. The truth about what they're desiring, what God is doing for them, where they're headed. Let me tell you something. It's a message to me. And it's a message to you. The other morning I was getting out of the shower and and uh, I, I was in there, you know. How many of you ever think in the shower? To me, that's some of my best thinking time. I don't know why. I don't sing. That'd be horrible. A lot of people sing in the shower. I think in the shower. Some of my best thoughts come in the shower. But I'm thinking in the shower that morning, and I'm thinking about all the things I've got to do, and I'm thinking about all the things that uh, are challenges, and things I'm facing, how am I going to get through this? How do I deal with this? How do I do that? And all of a sudden, I, I'm opening the glass door. I'm reaching down and getting the towel. And I begin to say, you got this. And I begin to begin to confess. You ever do that? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. God's going to direct my steps. He's going to give me wisdom. He's going to give me help. He's going to go before me. He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And I just begin to confess and confess and confess. And let me tell you, by the time I got dried off, I was, I was in a whole different zone. What happened? Abracadabra. I create by my words. What I speak, I create. Listen, you're not God and neither am I. But I tell you what, he sure gave us a lot of great things. A lot of great precepts. A lot of great paths that you and I can walk on. And walk in. And receive. If you tell yourself you're ugly, there's not enough people to tell you you're pretty. Because you've convinced yourself. If you tell yourself that you can never do anything, there's not enough people to tell you you can because you've convinced yourself. I'll never be happy. 
I'll never get this uh, solved. I'll, I'll never be forgiven. Uh, our marriage will never be good. My job will never be good. My health will never be good. Listen, let, let's change the lingo. Because what I speak, I create. Abracadabra. Why did the magicians pick this up? Because they want you to think what they're saying, they're manifesting. It's only a trick, right? Magic in that sense is only a trick. But let me tell you, this is not a trick. This is scripture. The prodigal said, I'm not going to stay in this hog pen. I'm going to rise and I'm going to go to my father. There's an old story. I've used it a few times. There are three frogs sitting on the log, and two of them said they're going to jump. How many are still on the log? You'd say, well, only one. No, until they jump, they're still there. Because until you put action to the words. Let's go back to what I said earlier. Faith without works is dead. Faith without words is dead, but words always precede works. Usually you formulate it in your mind first, you speak it out of your mouth, and now you've got to put feet to it, right? And now we're moving to the place that we should be in God. Stand with me this morning. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.